In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So I think most of you know that uh, my full-time gig is up the road at Cassidy Episcopal School. I've been serving there as the senior chaplain now. This is my fourth year. I've been there 10 years total. And a few years ago, it was during the Advent seasons, we were ramping up to Christmas, that I was officiating one of our daily chapel services. We have daily, daily chapel for all the kids, um, first grade through 12th grade. It's about a 20-minute service. It usually entails an opening hymn or a guitar song. You know, the kids like that rock and roll. Uh, then we have prayers, uh, mostly from the prayer book. And then we have a scripture, and then there's a brief chapel talk, and we dismiss. So this happens every day. But it was during Advent one year that uh, we were singing the song, We Three Kings. Can you picture it in your mind? And I decided in the moment, just on a, on a lark, that I would invite the students in the middle division, the junior high chapel, to sway with me when we got to the chorus. Star of wonder, star of night, star of You get the picture. So we started the hymn, and when it came to the first chorus, and we started singing and swaying, the fifth graders, 10-year-olds, 10, 10, 11 years old, right in front of me, swaying away. Sixth graders, which are 11 or 12-year-olds, you know, kind of swaying away. The seventh graders, which are over here, swaying a little. And then finally the eighth graders, who are 13, 14 years old, nothing. <laughs> now, my observation about that later as I reflected on it, I, I didn't give them time to plan their response. I didn't, this was something that happened in the spur of the moment. And so the reaction of those children and teenagers, I think in some ways was very natural and very telling about how their brains are working in relationship to community. And I don't want to shame those eighth graders. I mean, I want, but there's a, something that happened in the, the preteen and the teenage brain from 10 years old to 13 where the switch flips off. Now, some people might call this, you know, sort of losing touch with your inner child. Similar story, uh, years ago at the school, we had sort of a fine arts council, which was a group of parents who planned you know, different events for fine arts. And they had this idea that we would do a, what do they call that, when the, it's a surprise choir or surprise flash mob. And so their, their idea was, we're gonna get the, the middle school and the high schoolers during halftime to just sort of, you know, out of nowhere, get up from where they are, coming onto the field, and do a dance. Now, for those of us who work with especially junior high kids, our reaction was, you're, you're asking these children who are in the most self-conscious and awkward stage of their life to get up and dance in front of strangers. But you can only imagine every last bit of leverage that an educator has to try to convince us, because we couldn't make them do it. But we had, to, we had to find leverage, right, some incentive. And we used every last stitch that we could find. And it was a disaster. 
the, the joke that I told uh, the, the director of the middle division at the time, I said, what really would be the only thing that would work is a two drink minimum. That's a joke, right? <laughs> and, and that is an observation that as adults, we do sort of get out of touch with that excitement, that sense of adventure, that willingness to be vulnerable. That for a lot of us, it wasn't until we were older, I'm going to say 21 or older, that when we began to experience adult beverages, that we found once again that level of vulnerability and risk that maybe you had as an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old. And there's a sadness to that. Right? The, the scriptures say, do not be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's God's spirit that gives us the courage and the wherewithal to be vulnerable and to take risks. Jesus here catches his disciples. He can sense it, you know, as you do on a conversation. They're in the midst of an argument, and he, he wants to know, what are you guys talking about? And surely they are ashamed, because what they've been talking about is of them, who of them is going to be the most celebrated? Who of them is going to be the most prestigious? And Jesus, rather than shaming them in the moment, scolding them, he calls over a child and he says, if you truly want to enter into the kingdom of God, you must become as a child. You need to find once again that inner child that maybe you've lost touch with. And maybe there's a connection between this idea and the idea of you must be born again. I know that we've celebrated this over the years. Jesus takes a child aside. He says this is an example of what it's like to be, to have the attitude and the thoughts that God wants us to have. But I always thought to myself, did Jesus spend any time with children? <laughs> I always thought a great vacation Bible school t-shirt would be on the front, sort of the sketch that you typically see of Jesus, surrounded by children, he was very calmly just loving them and blessing them and their smiles on their face. And it says, Jesus said, suffer the children to come unto me. That's on the front. And on the back is the same setting, but the kids are just going nuts. <laughs> pulling Jesus' hair, fighting with each other. And then it says, but then Jesus never taught vacation Bible school. And so I think it begs the question, and it's the question I want to raise, and I want to send you out to formation and to lunch and to your week trying to answer the question. I want you to talk about this. If Jesus is putting a child before us and saying, this is the example of what it means to be great in the kingdom, and giving us that as an example, then what are specifically those traits of childlikeness that Jesus wants us to capture and reconnect to? The readings the past few weeks have been from James. Scholars aren't sure about this, but we're assuming, based on evidence that's been collected, that this is the actual brother of Jesus. Can you imagine growing up in that household as the brother of Jesus? Why can't you be more like your brother? <laughs> you know, like God. But it's James who had this really close and intimate connection with Jesus growing up. Let's just go ahead and, and lean into that and accept it. That all throughout his books, he repeats something that Jesus says here. And that is our tendency and our inclination to show favoritism. 
right, to, to celebrate prestige and position in society, to define greatness that way. When we do that, we are not following the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're just not. And I know that I'm sort of shaming us, but I'm included in this. I'm a part of that, those people who plan events where you put the certain people up on the dais and others, you just, you know, part of the crowd. And I'm, I'm not naive. I know why we do this. I get it. But it's Jesus who's begging us and imploring us to resist that inclination and to see the value and the worth of all people equally. Is this a trait that children have? I think a lot of them do. But again, I want to end this sermon by asking you to, I want to raise the question. When Jesus puts before us a child and says, welcome one like this and you welcome me, what is it about children that Jesus is trying to get us to reconnect to and to embrace. Star of wonder, star of light, star with royal beauty bright. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.